Hey, I, uh, I could still remember the moment where it all became clear to me about what was going on. Uh, the amazement and, and the excitement, uh, but I got to say the confusion as well. Oh, the wonder of it all that was happening in front of me. It made some things so clear, but at the same time, it caused me to consider and question other things and try to find, I found myself going, man, what did I just experience? Is this real? Did this just happen? Well, maybe you experienced that as well. Maybe you experienced the same moment I experienced it. That moment that you realized that Bruce Willis was actually dead. You remember Sixth Sense? No one's seen Sixth Sense? I mean, I mean, you have this kid that sees dead people, right? And, and Bruce Willis is his child psychologist that's working with him. And at the end of the movie, you come to realize that he's actually dead. I had to go back and watch the movie again, like almost instantly, because I needed to find some mistakes. But man, you couldn't find mistakes. I couldn't. I mean, you look back to, later on, you find out that Bruce Willis never actually moves anything physically. And he doesn't actually talk to any other people other than this kid. I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, you don't even need to go see it now because it won't be any fun. So <laughs> it's okay. The thing's like 20 years old. But why do I bring this up? There is a reason why I bring this up because we're studying 1 John. And there are moments in 1 John that are just kind of like those no way Bruce Willis is dead moments that gives you clarity of the whole thing and helps you to see what John is really trying to communicate. You see, 1 John's one of my favorite books uh, because of the big picture of it. But at the same time, as Scott mentioned last week, man, you know, uh, John have a tendency of almost being like a mammoth. He just goes from one point to another over. It's just this big circular thing. And so with that, if we just look at certain aspects of it, man, it could beat us up a little if we don't see the whole. And in the midst of that, I'd have to say that one of the most challenging chapters in the whole book is chapter 3, where we're going to be today. But I, I want to remind you a little bit about where we have come to or from First, first this, this is from the beginning, uh, the first message of this series, that the salvation of Jesus is an invitation to life, a permission to live, not a contractual transaction. Scott talked about that on the, the very first message of this series. And if you, if you haven't been following it, go back, it's online. Because I can tell you that this has been a journey for me over the last 10 or 15 years to see the bigger picture of salvation as something different than just a simple transaction between God and I, this ongoing transaction that we have. And that ongoing transaction kind of sounds like this, right? Like I've sinned. Because I've sinned, I've disappointed God and he's angry. So I'm now separated from him. He turns his back on me. But then if I will feel guilty and I'll confess my sins and be honest with my confession and ask for forgiveness and repent from all the bad things I've done and promise him I won't do them again, that God will turn back to me, accept me, love me, forgive me, and walk with me. And this process in my life went on and on and on every day almost, you know, this kind of transactional kind of idea. And I want to tell you that this view of things, like seeing my walk with God like that, I, I have seen it cause a lot of struggle in a lot of people. 
especially causing the struggle in people to really experience this rest or, or peace in their walk with God. It, it can create this concern, this continual concern of whether am I in or am I out? Am I, am I doing good and, and enough good? Am I, am I not doing too much bad? Am I tapping into God's blessing or am I a constant disappointment? And so I'm tapping into his curses. And maybe you've experienced that kind of relationship. A relationship where you continuously doubt your status. Maybe that's happened in relationships, personal relationships in your life, but even more tragic, maybe it has happened with your relationship with God. And if you find yourself in that place, that's kind of something that was embedded into you early on in your life and in your religious life, and it's still there. I just want to warn you to hold on to your seats because we're in 1 John chapter 3. And in 1 John chapter 3, it could be a very scary chapter if we don't look at the, the big picture. I mean, look what he says. Verse 6, 1 John 3, look at this. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Any of you toast already? Okay, yeah, okay, all right. So no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Psh. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Now it gets even better, right? He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who does what is sinful is of the devil. Feeling better? Okay, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And, and then he goes on in verse 10. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So, so here's my question. Here's my question. Why did John write these words? Why did he write these words? Now, you, you might not agree with my answer, but I'm up here, you're down there, you just gotta hear it anyways, right? <laughs> and I hope that we back away a little and see the big picture. Here, here's what I just, here's my immediate answer to this, is that John was not trying to get his readers to question whether they were children of God or children of the devil. I don't think he was trying to get them to like, okay, you know, where do you stand? Now, before someone thinks, why are you trying to ignore what is clear in the Bible? Let's look at the big picture. Here's the first question I want to ask looking at the big picture. If you were to just narrow down John's View of God in the book of 1 John. Just, just give it, narrow down how he wants them to see God. How would you narrow it down? Like what's the bottom line that John wants us to see when it comes to God? And 1 John is a book, if you have not sat down and just read it through in one sitting, you need to do it. It's one of those books you, you almost have to do that with, right? Read it in one sitting. I've done that over and over again over the last couple weeks, almost every day just reading through it. It's not long, five chapters. But I've, and as I've read it, there's no doubt in my mind, and, and maybe you can see it differently than this, but that the greatest theme throughout the book of 1 John is that Jesus brings to light that God is love. That is the theme. Over 10 times in this short book, he talks about God being love or God's love. I mean, it seems to be the foundation of the whole book that the light is shining. And what it's shining, what it's illuminating, what it's helping, wanting us to see 
is that God is love. That Jesus came to declare, to bring to light that God is love and he's not far from us. He's not far from the broken, the sick, and the lost. And so if I was to look at what I think John's book is about, is that John's letter is focused on the good news that Jesus came to set them free from that which held them captive, from knowing and experiencing the love of God. It's about setting us free from the things that hold us captive. Last week, Scott was in 1 John chapter two, right? And he talked about the love of the world. He talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Basically taking a look at the idea that if we love ourselves above loving others, that could move us away from really experiencing the love of God. I think he used the term like squeezing, right? He kind of squeeze out us really seeing and experience if we allow these things to capture us. And so there's no doubt, there's no doubt that sin is powerful and it affects our lives that the power of the devil that the spirit of lies and accusations and darkness can hold us captive and blind us blind us from truly seeing the love of God but here's where I want us to step back I just want to just share with you a little bit about what I've been thinking about this and I hope maybe it just challenges you to think a little because I don't believe we are punished for our sins as much as we are punished by our sins I put it this way, so we have it up here. Like The sin that leads us into darkness blinds us from being able to see God's love and strips us from the ability to love others is the punishment or the consequence for our rebellion against God. So as we rebel against God in God's ways, man, it's, and, and we sin, that leads us into this darkness. It blinds us from being able to actually see the love of God and love others through that. That's what held us captive. We are captive by sin. We are captive by the darkness and the devil and death. And Jesus came to set us free from that captivity. And when we're free, we are free indeed. So by his life, by his message of his teachings as well as what he did by the idea that he was tempted in every way without sin and by taking on sin and its ultimate consequence, which is death, he rose from the dead And he put on display and proved that sin, darkness, the devil, and death does not have the final victory. In 1 John 2, 8, John said this, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It's already shining. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. How beautiful is that? The darkness is passing. The light is already shining and that's what John wants to say. I think that John wanted them to see the victory, the hope, the truth of what Jesus has now revealed, that God is love. So this book is not about warning them to question whether they are children of God or children of the devil. This is a declaration that through Jesus... We are children of a loving God. 
Look what he starts out, verse chapter three, by saying. I mean, right here. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, period. This is you guys, right? And that is what we are. So his, his readers, those he's writing to are saying, we are children of God. That is what we are. And then he goes on and he says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is is and that everyone who has his hope in them purifies himself just as he is pure and, and I want to ask the question because notice at the end there he says and everyone who has this hope this, this book's about hope about our hope and anyone who has this hope he says purifies themselves now here's my question what comes first the hope or the purification what comes first the hope The hope comes first. We're not called to purify ourselves and then we earn the hope. That's that transactional thing. No, the hope is first. The hope is the foundation. The hope transforms our lives. The hope empowers us towards loving others as we have been loved. And now here's the part that gets me. I mean, This is the part that kind of has blown my mind over the years and wrestling through it this week. This is the like Bruce Willis is actually dead part, for me at least. Jesus, John said in in 1 John chapter 3, he said this, and when he appears, we shall be like him and see him as he is. Then he does a fascinating thing. And in the next verses, twice he said he appeared. He appeared. I, I think if we get caught with the idea of just, like, of just like, and when he appears, okay, John's saying, okay, guys, that's hundreds and thousands of years from now. I think we're missing the hope that he's wanting them to see. And when he appears, he, we will see him as he is. And we will be like him. And then he says he appeared. And what did he appear to show, to bring? What did he shine when he appeared? What is John going to tell them? And what I love about this, it lands right in the middle of those children of God and children of the devil wrestlings, which some think might've been like the wrestlings of these pre-Gnostics that got talked about and these, these super overly spiritual kind of, you know, mystical kind of things. But look at what he says right in the middle. And this is the part that I love. Verse five, but you know that he appeared. So when Jesus appears, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And we know that he appeared, all right, so that he might take away our sins and in him there is no sin. And then look what he says in verse eight. And the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That which stands opposed to them seeing and experiencing the love of God and having the power to love others. Sin, which leads us into darkness and blindness so that we can't see the devil and those lies and accusations and condemnation that can hold us captive in the darkness. Jesus appeared and he dealt with it. Let's put it this way, that sin 
and the devil have been taken away and destroyed by the appearing of Jesus, and that is the hope in which we now rest. That has changed my life. Because, you know, I believe that it's how we see that's more important than what we see. I, I truly believe that oftentimes, Christians, we, we focus on what we see more than how we see. We need to allow the Bible and this journey that we see throughout the scriptures to, to help us see things differently. Because I'll tell you, when I see things differently, I act differently. I'm more driven by how I see than what I see. And you might be thinking inside your head, okay, that sin has been okay. Wait, but, but sin matters, right? Sin matters. We need to clean up our act or God will be disappointed and punish me because that's what's in the back of my head. That's what I was raised to think from the early childhood, right? That he's gonna do that. Well, man, I'm gonna tell you, yeah, I do deeply believe that sin matters, but it's not because I'm trying to earn some hope in God or as some means to rub this lamp and then God's gonna then make all my wildest dreams come true and he's gonna act on my behalf. I believe that sin matters because it can blind me from really seeing and experiencing the love of God. And it impacts those around me in such terrible, profound ways. Sin is terrible and it destroys. The wages of sin is death and we can see it in and through this world every day. It's real. Or, or, or maybe you're thinking, but this world is the devil's playground. Right? It's like, he's still the God of this world. He's still roaming around like a roaring lion. And right when you want to do good, the devil's right there. He's coming after you. Really? I'm just going to tell you, just, I don't agree. Because the true king has come. He has conquered. His kingdom has been established that will have no end. He has the victory. And yeah, I, I still see darkness and destruction going on around. I, I believe there's sin and there's defeat and things like that. But I want to tell you, the darkness is passing away for the light has already shined and shone. It's here. And I know that we can focus on the negative and we're so good at doing that. But you know what hit me this week? I'm reading 1 John and all of a sudden I started thinking, what must life have been like for them? You want to trade? You want to go back then? You want, you, you want us living in Disneyland, Temecula, Southern California? Oh, it's raining. I can't surf. Hurry up and stop. Right? I mean, when I think of what I have to deal with compared to what they had to deal with, I mean, it's not even close. Talk about the darkness fading away and the light shining. Where do you want to go back to? A hundred years ago? Is that when it was the light was more bright and the darkness was, when was it better? I truly believe in a lot of ways I'm living in some of the best times in human history. Yes, there is still darkness. And I think when we begin to see the light, then we're going to be able to take care of some of that darkness and really see where the darkness is and really go after it. And that's where we get to be a part of changing things. But we got to get this vision. I think it's so important for us to see that the true light is already shining because it leads us to 
this verse in 1 John 3 that probably has impacted me more than any verse in the Bible, or as much. This is the one that was my real aha moment in verse 19. He says, then this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Guys, I just want to encourage you, man. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. For Christ came, he conquered sin, he conquered the devil, he conquered death, he came to shine that God is love. This is how we know that we belong to the truth as he loves us and we love each other and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Check that out, right? How do we set our hearts at rest in his presence when our hearts condemn us? Go to the next part. I love this. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all. Just get over it. God's greater. He knows it all. He's conquered sin. He's conquered the work of the devil. Let your heart be set at rest with him. That transactional approach does not cause our hearts to set at rest with God. It causes us to daily wonder, am I good enough or not good enough? Am I a child of God or a child of the devil? And right in the middle of this, he's trying to lead them into this place where no matter what's going on around them, their hearts are set at rest in his presence. And dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The message that Christ appeared and took away sins, destroyed the devil is so important because it moves us to set our hearts at rest. If there's one thing that I think that we struggle with as Christians, especially in our culture, is just resting in the love of God. We, we just have this like, I, I still need to just earn this. You have the hardest time resting. And I want to tell you, man, I believe very strongly the way I see God and if I rest in God or not is the way that I'm going to live life out there with others. It affects us. To allow ourselves to rest in his love, love and stop feeling that we are just not good enough. We are always falling short and in the end we just might not make it can be so destructive in our hearts and in our relationships. Because if we feel that way, I push that out on others. I'll treat my wife that way and my kids that way and my coworkers that way and people around me that way. Because if I'm not being accepted, then I'm not going to accept. It's just a, I think it's a biblical thing, and I think it's a psychological thing too. It's real. But we need to know that Christ is victorious once for all. He has the victory. It is finished. He is king. His rule and his kingdom is ruling and reigning now in and through love. And we need to rest in that. We need to start resting in our hope in Christ because resting our hope in Christ is the most empowering foundation that moves us to love others. Resting in our hope in Christ is the most empowering foundation that moves us to love others. And, and if we think because of the back of our heads, man, we just got this concern, right? That if I don't obey God, I got to have this. If I don't obey God, he's going to be disappointed and judge me and ruin things. Like if I still have that in my head, if I'm afraid to move away from that thinking, because somehow that's going to somehow cause me to sin more or cause me to not care about sin. It's just so ridiculous to me. Because I just want to say that I don't think anything drives people to love more than love does. 
I think that's what drives us. Law certainly doesn't, right? I mean, well, that's what I had to do with my kid when they were five years old, right? Don't touch that, you'll burn yourself. Do I, do I still do that with my 19-year-old? You know, don't drive too fast. You know, I mean, I could, I could keep, I mean, we grow up and we begin to realize that love is the most powerful thing in this world. And it moves us and empowers us. And so I believe the more we rest in this truth of God's victory, the more we will be empowered. Look what he says in 1 John 3. He says, and this is his commandment, to believe in the name of his son. I love that. To believe in what we're talking about. That's what I think he's saying. Just believe in this hope. Believe in Christ that he did appear, that he conquered sin and death. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. And those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. See, we're not talking about just some transaction. We're talking about life, this permission to live, this experience of life here and now. Christ appeared. He dwells in us. He wants us to see and have a clear picture of his love. And he wants us to see it as we love one another. It all works together. And that this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. It's the work of the spirit of Christ that he gave us. So he's inviting us to rest. He is inviting us to rest through belief and trust. He invites us to believe in and accept his love, mercy, and grace, and forgiveness as we trust and believe that we are loved by God through Christ. The spirit he gave us will empower us. He'll empower us more and more each day to love each other. And look what he says in verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life and we ought to lay down ours. I mean, just to talk about like, whoa. As Christ laid down his life, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. How's that look? He just gives a simple thing. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Hey, if you see someone in need, help him. Just love. Think of others, you know? Put them above yourself. And then he goes on, he just says, our dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth, allow that to make a difference in our lives. Because it's so important that this truth of resting is that through our own lives, by the power of love, the darkness is passing, the light is shining. That's through us. I think when we're just waiting for this appearing, when's he gonna appear, when's he gonna appear? He's saying like, I, I, I appeared and I'm appearing to you now and I'm empowering you, go love. Oh yeah, but when he appears, I appeared and you're here and I'm empowering you to go love. Rest in my love for you and go show that love to others. Lay your life down for them as I have laid my life down for you and watch as the darkness fades more and more and the light shines brighter and brighter. So I, I kind of narrowed it down to this, that may our lives, our actions invite others to experience the rest in God that we have found. Ah, uh, this has like challenged me deeply. Does my life invite others to rest? Or do I invite people to stress? What, what, what's, am I so resting over here that my life just naturally invites others into that rest? That they feel at ease and they feel accepted, loved, and at peace? 
as God has made me feel. That's why having this vision of resting in Christ and not this transaction thing is so important. That life of just resting, having my heart at rest in his presence is so important. But again, as I said, that flows out of me. Whatever it is I see flows out of me to others. I love 1 Peter 4, 8. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Like how crazy is that? Let that sink in. You see, as the love of God through Christ is covered over my sins, and according to 1 John 2, 2, not just atone for my sins, but for the sins of the whole world, I need to begin to understand that my love for others covers over their sins. We get to put on display, they get to see as I love and forgive and care and put others above myself. That makes a difference. Christ has appeared and my life, your life, Christ in us now, the hope of glory is working in and through us to continue to advance his kingdom as we love others. As his life was sacrificed for us, John says, now sacrifice your love for your brothers and for others. Uh, I believe that what John was trying to help them see was this beautiful, beautiful truth of rest and how rest empowers us to love. Not waiting for some appearing to come, but the reality that Jesus appeared, he took care of sin, he conquered the devil, and now he empowers us to continue advancing the cause as we love one another. I want to give you permission to live by resting today. I want to give you permission to live by resting. Resting in the powerful work of Christ that took away sin and destroyed that which holds us captive. Sin, darkness, and the devil, he took it. Rest in his presence. And that resting in the love of God for you and allowing that to empower you to bring it to others. To invite them into rest as you accept them, as you care for them, as you consider them, as you love them, as you have been loved. Christ has given us permission to live. Because being loved and loving others is truly living. You pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this book of 1 John and the difficulty in it, but the beauty as we step back and see this big picture that you have appeared and you took away sin and you conquered the work of the devil and that we now can set our hearts at rest in your presence. And even if our hearts condemn us, miss, we should know that you are greater than our hearts. You, you know all and you are a God that loves us. How great the love you, Father, have lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I pray for some here that have just felt that weight of the constant transaction of not being good enough might experience rest today. May the power of your spirit open their eyes to the rest that is in you. And as they begin to experience that more and more, may that overflow out of their lives into others. And may we see the beauty of life 
right here and now as the darkness is fading and the light is shining and now it's shining in and through us. So may your kingdom come, may your will be done in our lives here on this earth as it's being done in heaven. May you just give us this vision, this vision of hope, this vision of victory, this vision of rest. And may we accept the call to live, to truly live. For your glory and honor in Jesus' name, amen.